I learned this metaphor that really helped me like the seasons of my life. And sometimes it's winter, sometimes it's spring, sometimes it's autumn. And I learned, okay, now it's winter. Slow down a little bit. You might feel bad. You might feel dizzy. You might feel like you want to stay inside and cannot work so much. And then I sent some message. Today I cannot. Today no. And really gives me peace. Like, oh, I have the right to say I cannot. And I'm still a good person. I'm still hardworking. I'm still having my way of discipline. But today I cannot. It's just today. It's just the season. And it's going to come spring. And I'm going to be energetic. And I'm going to want to work. And I, I'm going to reach out to you. Trust me. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. Okay, here we are at episode 135, in which I interview Diana Kostya. Diana is a 22-year-old from Romania. She has a degree in psychology and is currently volunteering with the European Solidarity Corps program as a youth worker and English teacher in Turkey. Diana discovered her ADHD a little over a year ago, and since then, she feels she finally has the courage to allow herself to be different and instead of minimizing or masking it, to befriend her neurodivergence and help others see the world through different angles. Diana has also started a career as a personal development coach where she supports and guides young or aspiring entrepreneurs in their career journeys. We talk about authenticity and radical acceptance, learning how to ask for help, and finding and developing our own paths despite what others might expect from us. I gotta say, I was blown away by Diana's wisdom at such a young age. She is a real gift with words. So you may want to pause this episode and grab a pen and notepad before we get started. Enjoy. Hi, Diana. Welcome. Hi. Hi, Katie. Thank you so much for having me. So yeah, let's just jump right in and get started. I'm I'm curious about your ADHD diagnosis. How long ago were you diagnosed? I know it wasn't that long ago. Um, but you know, what was kind of happening in your life that led you to start to connect the dots and think this could be ADHD? Yes, it's interesting that I think your podcast was the first time when Actually, I started to take it seriously, but I, uh, when I was thinking, because this is a question that you always ask your your women, your guests, and I started to think when, actually, it was the first time when I started to think and when I heard about ADHD, and actually, it was in kindergarten, and it's interesting that I heard about this notion, ADHD, and I asked my mother, what is this? And she said, no, it's just children are agitated. And I said, I'm agitated. And she said, no, but it's not you. So you're just naughty. It's kind of this kind of thing, like other kids might be like uh, ADHD, uh, but you, if you're agitated like this, it's because this is how you are. It's not a problem. It's just how you are. A bit like naughty. You need to control yourself, kind of. You're a girl. You should be otherwise. So that was the first time when I heard about ADHD. And after I kind of forgot, but if I think back, always I kind of had these problems of finding difficult to control myself or to be like other girls. But when I started to think about diagnosis, um, was actually my last year of university. When I was having university, a job, I was starting to learn a little bit to start my uh, online business. So, so many things are going on in my life. And I was so close to burnout. And just one day listening to your podcast, I think, I forgot, I think the name of your guest and I, I'm, I feel so sorry about that, but she said something like ADHD is something that you didn't know you have. And once you know that you have it, everything starts to make sense. And I remember, I remember you talking about how you went back in your journals and you realized so many things about yourself and that it was a very emotional thing for you. And I remember I was doing groceries and podcasts because 
I cannot do anything without my headphones, right? So I was walking on the street and I hear this and I was, oh my God, that, that's my life. And I got very emotional on the street and then I started to listen more and more and more and it was really like, oh, okay, now, okay, now I understand. But actually, one more important thing, uh, in my last year of, of university, I worked as a um, shadow teacher, which means that I go to school with a little girl that has autism. So uh, I'm curious about your perspective here, but I, in her behavior, I started to find myself so much. For example, her sensitivity for the noise. And she was doing this little thing, taking my hands and putting on her ears like this, like it was too much for her. And I was feeling her, I was like, oh my God, I want to do this too. Like, and sometimes like really like so much noise, she wanted like to just cry and or scream. And I was I feel you, like really, I didn't judge one second because I said, okay, that's what I want to do as well. So, so many things started to connect and about diagnosis, I remember I asked her therapist, do you know anyone who can diagnose ADHD? And she said, why? And I said, I think I might have it. And she said, are you sure? Are you hyperactive? And I said, I don't know, but I think I have it, even if I don't feel like I'm hyperactive, whatever that means. But yes, this kind of was my path till the moment when I realized, okay, I have it. Officially, I never been diagnosed, but for sure, I'm 100% is there. Like all I do, all I think, all how my life is arranged and how my life is going is there. And I, I can feel it. And since I know and since I acknowledge my life, my life is better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, self-diagnosis, I think, is 100% valid. And also really when our life starts to change, right? Like all the things you were talking about, when you start to look over the course of your whole life and think, oh, my goodness, I had no idea that all of these seemingly random struggles that I encountered all come back to ADHD. And you're like, yes, it all makes sense now. I think that's where the journey begins long before any medical professional gives you the the thumbs up. We already know by the time we, you know, I think many of us, when we get a professional diagnosis, it's like, how do I convince this provider to see what I see, right? And as opposed to, uh, you know, I I feel like that's the majority of the experience. So, so was this in Romania, the teacher that you were talking to? Yes, this happened in Romania. And I was surprised that also this is happening in the U.S. because Romania being more like a smaller country where the mental health awareness is just starting just in the last, let's say, like three, four years, it started to develop. I was surprised that you also uh, highlight this problem in the U.S. And to be honest, I was ready to be denied. I was ready to be denied in where all the, all the places where I'm going to go. And if I mentioned the ADHD, ADHD condition I was think I'm sure and I'm already okay you can you can deny it because it's not obvious it's something invisible so mm-hmm. I think that's what's so fascinating is how different so many of our experiences have been it all depends on how much independent research a medical provider has done it's not formal it's not it's not built into their training and and if it is it's built into like I think child psychiatrists have formal training in ADHD, but it's ADHD in children. So it's really like you have no idea if the person you're seeing has any idea of uh, has any background in ADHD or if they read the, you know, the two page chapter in Psych 101 on ADHD, which is, you know, terribly misleading. But I was I'm just curious, like, what even do you think the diagnosis would even entail in Romania? Do you think that there's do you know anybody who has successfully been diagnosed or is it just something that's like only with children at this point? I think currently, uh, I don't want to give uh, misinformation, but I think currently it's more aware for the children. It's like a child disease. I think this is how it's been seen. And um, after you're grown up, it's passed. Like, I think it's more of just for children, for adults, not so much. And I think especially for women, I think we learn to hide it so much, then no one can even, like, it's very difficult to to be diagnosed or to be recognized. And also because discipline is so important and you say, okay, discipline is something I need to learn. Again, you have to keep it inside. And yes, I, I, I don't think the awareness for ADHD is 
too high in Romania right now. I think, again, it's something for children as adults. Mm-mm. It's not there. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's this idea that it's a self-control issue, right? So if you are still struggling in adulthood, then you just obviously have no self-control. And so that's on you. That's, <laughs> that's something you have to like suffer in silence with. And I think, you know, some, one of the themes we explore so much in this podcast is like why so many of us end up with diagnoses of depression and anxiety is because of that, that connection between feeling like what's wrong with me that I'm not that I don't have that self-control that I was supposed to, you know, like children can get away with it. Although, you know, I'm curious, like, ha- have you had conversations with your mom as as an adult now? Sort of what are her thoughts about some of the issues that you struggle with now, even in adulthood? Does she still feel like it's it's just your personality? I think it's kind of different generation. And for them growing up during communism, uh, again, a different context completely. So it's a kind of luxury to, to to be able to say about myself, yes, I have ADHD, and this might be a reason why I find it so difficult to do all these things that makes me messy and nasty and disorganized and not like other people. And including this multi-interest that I had, always I want to do this and this and this. And after I was telling you about my last year of university where I hit that bottom line where I was just I cannot anymore I cannot like everyone anymore because I'm not and I don't know if me recognizing okay I have ADHD and I have a need for multiple interests this is a need for me I need to do more things and I think to have this ability of focusing on one thing and doing it well it's so appreciated in our society so me being I cannot do just one thing because I'm bored it's just you're not fine you're not okay and always I was but this what about this and this 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 and after I said okay I cannot anymore I just I cannot do master's right now because normally the path is you do university then you do your master's degree and after you'll see what you're gonna do for me I said no master now I want to go as a volunteer in Turkey like Yay, completely different thing. And I remember everyone was just, are you sure? Like, and okay, and first time it was only two months. And everyone was just like, okay, two months. And after she's going to come back and she's going to go to university and she's going to be normal like all the other chil- like children. I said, uh-uh, <laughs> I cannot. Still, I cannot. I'm not there. And I'm sorry, I forgot. What was the question? I think I was asking about whether or not your mom has come around to the idea that this is ADHD as opposed to just, you know, like she, when you were a kid, she was like, that was just you, you were naughty. If she sees some of the more like nuanced side of ADHD now. Mm, I think uh, I had first me to be fine with this, that it's possible her and my family never to understand. This is one thing that I had to embrace. It's possible never ever they to understand. And it's possible some people in my life never to understand and still think about me that maybe you're like this, you're like that. But the more I understand, the more most important thing is me. Like, do I embrace myself fully? Like, do I understand, do I embrace myself that my room can be a mess from time to time and I am still a good person? And I can be interested in so many other things and one day I can connect them together and do something? Yes. Um, again, like the idea that I might not have or obtain ever an approval for from some people, I think it's something that really gives me strength to keep on going. Like I need to give myself approval and permission to do different things in my life. That is so beautifully said. And I'm so envious that that is a realization you've come to in your early 20s. You're 22 still? or Yes. Yes, I'm 22. You're tw- I mean, I'm envious because I feel like I... It took me until my mid 40s to, with that diagnosis to have that revelation, right? To realize that I can be chaotic and do you, you know do all of these things and still be an an incredible person who gets things done. Um, and and to really lean into that, like I think that's so wonderful and encouraging to hear that you're able to have that attitude at such a young age. Hey friend, if there's one thing I've learned about ADHD over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability, planning, 
coaching, and peer support. Knowing all this, I set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with ADHD or learning disabilities. I knew I couldn't do it alone, so I joined forces with one of my favorite ADHD coaches, Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting, and together we launched the ADHD Lounge. The Lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media, where we offer live group calls, co-working, and body doubling every weekday for accountability, focus, and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise, then make sure to come join me in the ADHDlounge.com. Again, that's the ADHDlounge.com. And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the ADHDlounge.com and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month. During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyperfocus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD and women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy-to-access self-guided and self-paced course so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. It's called, Hey, it's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. So how did you end up in Turkey? So walk me through that, because I think that's fascinating. Yes, I really want to mention this and I want to talk about this in a way that because you mentioned the fact that uh, in your early 20s, you couldn't understand or you couldn't really just acknowledge. But I think also because there weren't too many options back then. Now there's Internet and you can see different options that you can do. So for now, for a young young person that graduated high school or graduate university, there are so many other options to reach or to develop yourself and to grow without necessarily leading or going on the same path as everyone is going. But people don't know. And sometimes I feel like we're even afraid to look on what other options are there because there's one notion of success still, even though there can be so many other paths that lead to success. One one thing I'm trying to, to do and also with my social media is to promote, this is how I live my life. Just this. I don't say you have to do it like this, but I say, you know, I'm doing this. It's a bit unusual, I know. Sometimes it's very difficult, yes, but it's beautiful and it's different and it brings still development and growth. And even though I'm not doing it in the formal way, and I have this, I love this notion of educated differently. And I, I had a series of live on my Instagram account, and now I'm thinking, I'm thinking, just thinking and putting in the, um, freezer kind of the freezer of ideas like I'm thinking maybe a podcast one day educated differently where I can talk about different ways of getting educated without going to university and there and there and there and there I don't say it's a bad way I I think it's beautiful and I encourage formal education I think without formal education I couldn't be here because formal education gave me so many gifts but there are so many other ways to do it and yes how did I reach in Turkey first I was thinking while I was, again, in my last month, kind of I was working for my license paper, for my license diploma, and thinking, what can I do next? What can I do next? And I remember I heard this story. I will say the story, and then I will say how I reached in Turkey. It was a small booklet of therapeutic stories. I forgot the author, but I will shortly say it because I don't remember 100% how it goes. Uh, It was a story about this girl that wanted to go from New York to Los Angeles, let's say. I forgot the destinations, but let's just say this. And she said, okay, I can take I can take a taxi. I can go to the airport. I can take the plane and reach there. And I'll be there in, I don't know, maybe one hour, maybe a few hours. Anyway, it's a short time. 
It will be a bit more expensive, but I'll reach fast. I'll reach fast, I'll see the city, blah, blah, blah. The other option, maybe I can take the bus. And it's going to take maybe more hours, more time, more days. It's going to be a bit cheaper, but I'm going to see different cities. I'm going to explore a little bit. I'll have time to think. Maybe I'll get tired, but I'll see different places and it will be more economical. Another option, maybe I can take a few months off and I can take um, still the bus or just a car, rent a car and go to different places and I can see some natural parks or I can see some other cities. I can go and visit different places and so on. And the main idea was that there's not only one way and perfect way. You can do it in so many other ways. Yes, you can think that will be some advantage and disadvantages, but you can do it and you can choose your own way and you can still reach a destination. And it really made me think, like, I stay with this story in my mind for so long. And I said, which options do I want to take now? And I remember telling this story to my therapist. And she said, you know, Lena, sometimes you can take the bike. And sometimes you can walk. And sometimes you can take the boat. And sometimes you can change the transportation. You don't have, if you take the bike now, it doesn't mean that in a certain moment in your life, you cannot take the car. And after you can change it with a bus. And after you can change it with a boat. It's kind of this mix of, multi-realities in the same time and choices that you can make. How did I reach in Turkey? Well, in Europe, there's this project called European Solidarity Corps. And unfortunately, it's not so famous as it can because you can choose your project. There are different projects. Uh, there are education, environment, animals, different topics. You're not paid, but they are giving you a home. They are giving you pocket money and food money. And... Most of the time, you can choose your country and you can just go like this. And they, oh, of course, reimbursement for transportation. And I was in a place in my life a little bit lost, a little bit confused. And I find this project in a region from Turkey called Malatya. I never heard about it. I don't know what is it. But it attracted me because it's new. It's South Turkey. Never heard about it. I will never go. Just like to travel. And I went. and. I discovered like it's interesting because it gives me it gives me a bit of comfort to think about my life because in this point I'm still thinking what I want to do what masters do I want to cho choose what career I want to choose to choose and it gives me comfort it gives me a home it gives me something to do because we're teaching English we we connect with community we connect with ourselves but we still have free time to do sport or to connect with other people from the city to make friends to sleep, to work, to think. So it gives you this space of safety, but not safety to lose yourself, but safety to find yourself. That's incredible. It's, yeah, I mean, I think I think the European Solidarity Corps is an amazing program, yeah. And and I, I had never heard of it. I looked it up after I found out that you were in it and was and was and thought it was such an incredible program. And it reminded me of how many friends of mine when we were graduating university who went on to teach English in Russia or Japan or, you know, would go on and do these like one year stints and then they would end up staying there. And I was like, that's such, that has ADHD written all over it, right? That like the wanderlust... And not only the wanderlust of just like picking up and moving to a different country, but also the teaching, right? I think teaching is so many neurodivergents end up in a role where they're teaching. And so the fact that there's the the teaching element, but also the social justice element, it just feels like it's very ADHD friendly in terms of how, you know, just the excitement and the change. It actually is. And um, this is my third project where I am now. Actually, after I went to another one, and this is the third one, where I am still in Turkey, I wanted to stay in Turkey because so different than other countries that I visit. One thing I wanted to mention always, for me, it was so tiring, these social rules that you have on the table to sit like this, and the plate has to be like this, and you have to eat in a certain way. And I was in a point in my life where I had a chance maybe to be in a high society group of people. And I remember this person telling me like, be careful before you go to a dinner, if you're invited, you have to eat from before so you're not too hungry when you reach to this dinner. And I was, what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and they said, yes, because it's not polite to eat so much when you're invited. And I was, what? And like, why would anyone invite you to dinner if you cannot eat? Like, for me, it just doesn't make sense. And I remember then they were like, and I didn't say anything. I was just, it's something wrong with me. Like, 
I don't understand. I don't get it. And reaching to this country where they say, they mention, come, please be hungry when you come. And they want you to eat. And it's kind of obvious. Like, I love obvious. I love obvious experiences. Like, you say this to me, I know that you meant that thing. I cannot live a life where we're polite. I cannot, I cannot like this because I don't understand. I'm, I'm not, I don't understand. And people don't get it. I really don't understand it. And after even this shame and guilt grows and I just cannot do it anymore. It's just enough, enough time of my life. I grew with shame and guilt. Now I just, I want to be simple and obvious. And when I say something to mean it, when someone says something to me, I know that they mean it. And like this, I can live, but not other ways. Yes, I wanted to stay more in Turkey because it was interesting for me that everything's so clear and a little bit of chaos. Everything is so diverse. In a region of Turkey, something is in a way, and then you go in another place, and the way they talk, the way they walk, the way they move, everything's so different and diverse. And I say, okay, I want to stay here for a while because this is so much stimulus. Is it correct? Like this, so much... um Mm-hmm. novelty yes and at the same time i have the safety yes so it gives me what i need and in projects where i am now it's so ADHD friendly because the i'm working in a youth center and sports center so we have so much sports activities and also youth activities and we also work with children and also work with adults and also work with youngsters and also do some sports and also like everything is so when i first saw the schedule i said this is perfect. Not one single day is the same. Right? Yeah, that's so beautiful. And I think, you know, going back to what you said about going to somebody's house, that was such a perfect allegory for how authenticity is so important to so many of us. And having, um, I, I see that so much, in, not only in my own life, but in, in a lot of the women I interview, just this desire to cut through the crap and be authentic and be true and be real and how that affects and how uh, oftentimes that can lend to why so many of us have difficulty with relationships and friendships, especially with other women, because there is this like unspoken code sometimes in relationships among women that we don't know, like, you know, where you're sort of like, either we don't understand what's going on, or we just feel like it's ridiculous. And we don't want to play the, by those rules, because we want to play by like something that feels more authentic. I saw a TikTok video recently where somebody was talking about uh, a neurotypical asking you if you are hungry. And if you're not hungry in that moment, you, a neurodivergent would be like, no, I'm not hungry. But not realize that if somebody was asking you, are you hungry? What they're actually saying is, I'm hungry. Do you want to go eat with me? And and then the neurodivergent person didn't pick up on that. And so then they look like a jerk because they're like, no, I'm not hungry. <laughs> but it was just remi- reminded me of how so many of our communication difficulties do lie around this idea of authenticity and and kind of how we interpret situations. And, and when there's something where there's like some weird social rule or something that makes no sense, you're just like... Why would I do that? That makes no sense. I feel like we're very like logically driven in that way. Mm. And I also going back to what you had talked about with the story of taking the bus or the bike or the walk too, it really reminded me of that idea of like, that life is about the journey, not necessarily the destination. And I think that describes so many of us, right, in terms of all the things we want to do and all the different, like, I often will look back and think about all the different random certifications I got and and all of these things that at the time felt like they were leading to nowhere. And so I looked at them as though I was a failure because I was like, oh, I did this thing for a year, but I couldn't keep up with it. And then I did this other thing for a year and I couldn't keep up with it. And now I'm like, oh, I'm so grateful that I did all of these different things that have made me who I am today. Um, I just thought you you did a better job of, of describing it. But I think that that's many of our experiences. A lot of us have that experience of just being like, what's most, most interesting right now, as opposed to thinking about where this is going to get me and, and what the destination is. And I'm like, is there really, I don't feel like one is better than the other. I think they're just different and they're both beautiful in their own way. And I find it such a gift because we're used with trying and because we're used with trying and, okay, sometimes I'm a little bit like, I'm so excited about this, but I know I might 
it might be just like a little bit because after it might get very down and as all the other things I'm looking back. But now, now uh, I'm thinking it's an ADHD thing. Maybe I should pay attention. Is it something that I cannot do it? Like I cannot, it's drowning me or I can just put a little bit, a little bit push. But it's kind of, again, I think a matter of exercise. And I love this. Um, I had this teacher in university and he was um introduction in therapy, psychotherapy teacher. And he mentioned these beautiful three questions that he says, okay, when you have a patient, a client in your, that you're working with, Sometimes you need to ask yourself this question, like, does this person doesn't know how to do it? Or maybe he cannot do it, or maybe he doesn't want to do it. And it's different, because sometimes we need to ask ourselves, I don't want to do it, I cannot do it, or I don't know how. And it's special, because the answer leads to different solutions. If I cannot, it means, okay, I need to rest, why I cannot, different questions that I need to ask myself. If I don't know how, okay, maybe I need to learn some things. Maybe I need to develop some other skills. And if I don't want to, okay, then just don't do it. Like, you don't have to do it if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. I know, right? I feel like that's one of the questions I ask myself all the time now that I never did before my diagnosis, which was, okay, if I'm struggling with this, who can I get to do this for me? <laughs> Which I'd never had that. I never used to do that. If I was struggling with something, I would have to I would like double down and be like, I got to figure this out. What's wrong with me that I can't do this. And now I'm like, I'm I feel like I'm much it's much quicker for me to just be like, yeah, this is not going to happen. So I'm I'm going to not force it. And I'm going to see if there's somebody else who could do this for me. Yes. And also this idea of asking for help is so new. Because I don't know, we're living or I grew up in like individual uh, in the individualist uh, culture where helping is not that common and after I grew up after I my country after I left my country I started and started to interact with people from other countries I somehow still chose people that a bit individual centered my career my job my whatever and now I'm here in Turkey where it's so common to help each other and you said you mentioned the relationship part and I find it so interesting that you know, love bombing, it's a notion that is circulating now. And here in Turkey, some actions that are normal for them in other country or in other culture can be considered 100% love bombing. And at the beginning, I was so like, is this love bombing? Because this person comes to hospital with me because I'm sick? Like, but we just met. So what should I do? How should I see this? Or this person come to me and bring me soup at my home? Is it love bombing? Because... I didn't ask for it. And it's interesting how relationship plays such a, an important role in our life and the way we see it. And depending on the culture also, the cultural role plays such an important role. And I, I see it such a, such a gift to be able to be in a culture where helping is just normal because I need it. But I had no idea I need it till now. And now I see how my life gets better and calmer because I can say, yes, you can help me this time. It's beautiful. That is really beautiful. This episode is brought to you by Loop Earplugs. Loop Earplugs are my ultimate companion to a calmer and more focused life. If you're also an adult with ADHD, autism, or sensory issues, rest assured Loop Earplugs are designed with us in mind. Whether you're at your favorite coffee shop or in your office cubicle or simply at home with your kids, with their advanced noise reduction technology, Loop Earplugs gently lower the volume without blocking out the world completely. They're made from soft, hypoallergenic materials that are comfortable for extended wear. They fit snugly in your ears, ensuring you can wear them discreetly throughout the day. Plus, they come with a sleek carrying case, making them convenient to take with you wherever you go. Now that I'm in grad school, I love to use the Engage Plus loops whenever I'm walking around campus. They're specifically designed to reduce the level of sound entering my ear without completely blocking out all noise. My teenager loves her quiet loops for studying, and my son loves his Engage Kids loops for for short intervals, like riding the school bus or taking tests at school. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get 10% off your order when you visit loopearplugs.com slash women ADHD. That's loopearplugs.com slash women ADHD. And you can find that link in the episode show notes. Your life, your volume. And I think it also comes back to the idea of authenticity too, right? Which is like, 
feeling very uncomfortable f- when somebody is being so helpful and going out of their way immediately. Yeah, when you do come from an individualist society, immediately you're like, what are you what do you get from this? What do you want from me? Right? It feels transactional in some way. As opposed to being in a in a culture where you're just like, no, this is what we do. We help each other. And that's that's the authenticity part too. Just like, of course, why wouldn't we? I know I I find that so interesting. And I think it's something that we talk about a lot on this uh, you know, I'm so, I feel so privileged with this podcast to be able to interview women from from so many different backgrounds and so many different countries and cultures. And I remember, uh, you know, I interviewed a guest who was talking about how like Somalia is very ADHD friendly because it's such a laid back country and you show up when you show up and there's not, a, you know, a lot of rules about when things start or when things finish. And, and there's like a siesta in the middle of the day. And so it was like all of these ways in which different social norms and social rules are really like ADHD friendly or not. And then you think about like capitalism and, and individualist societies are terrible for ADHD. Because like you said, like, we're taught from birth that like, we need to be do one thing and do it well and like, be in our spot and and contribute to society and that suffering is is morally righteous, right? And all of these things that are part of our society where you're like, no wonder I'm so miserable. <laughs> so I think there we should have a list of like the top 10 countries that you should move to if you have ADHD. <laughs> I would put Turkey on this list, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, and then I wonder, like, does ADHD even exist in certain countries? Because I feel like a lot of the time... If you're in an environment that is very friendly to your brain, you're not going to have the the struggles that many of us associate with ADHD. And so while you still have your neurodivergent brain, you're not at a deficit. It doesn't feel like a disorder. And so do you even still have ADHD, right? And so that's why I think it's interesting that there's certain cultures where ADHD is hugely diagnosed and hugely pathologized. And then there's other cultures where it almost doesn't exist. And I think, is that because you know, they reject the concept of it? Or does it not exist because the people who have ADHD brains just aren't struggling? They're fine. Like they have their place in society. And it's not an issue. I think that's so interesting to think about. As we kind of work through like, what even is ADHD? Is it a set of behaviors in relationship to unfriendly environments like school uh, or workplaces? Or is it really... Is it just our beautiful, chaotic brains um, <laughs> wherever we are? Or, you know, I think it's a little bit of both. Yes, and it's interesting now thinking, like, maybe the environment can be friendly in some cultures, but I'm sure, or actually I'm not sure, I'm thinking how is the career part, like when I have to choose my career or when I have to go to university or school and because of the internet now, the tendency to compare with other people is still there. And I don't know, actually, especially like I'm interested in the career part because I'm always saying this idea that you don't have to change your interest. You have to discover your interest and then to choose a career that match your interest in your lifestyle and your dream lifestyle. And it's going to work, but it's so scary because it's going to be a phase in your life when it's not going to work and it's going to be messy. But I think this is, why we are young so we can mess up like we're so afraid like I don't know maybe me but I I feel this in my generation we're so afraid to make mistakes and so focused on perfection everyone wants to be millionaire and everyone wants to have great careers whatever that means and just this is the only part in your life where it can be messy like always I'm thinking like you can mess up really you can mess up because you don't have anything to lose if I mess up now it's very good because really I don't have any money to lose. I don't have any, I don't have a home to lose. I don't have a family to lose. I don't have anything. So I just go ahead and risk it all because I don't have so much. So it's really beautiful. It's really, really beautiful. You're making me miss the the transient nature of my 20s because that was one of the things I always loved was the freedom of just like not having a lot of things, always moving, always moving around, like never sort of putting down roots until I think really children change that. <laughs> children make it a lot harder to move around. But yeah, that's so well said. And I think also, I think your generation is at such an 
interesting, pivotal time with social media, too, because like you said, like so many young people are making a lot of money with social media and university is not necessarily like especially in the U.S., university is putting people into a lifetime of crippling debt and it's not guaranteeing a job. It's not guaranteeing a career. It doesn't do any of that anymore. It's just putting people into incredible amounts of debt. So like my teenager, I'm I'm like, I don't know if, if I would really pressure her to go to university at this point, because especially if she's just going to go to university for like liberal arts or something that I did, like I did, you know, philosophy and political science. And I just went to university to like grow up. But um, it was a lot less expensive when I went. And so I'm not I mean, I feel like it's a really different time now in terms of education. And, um, you know, it's not just obvious that you would go to school immediately. So there's it, it feels like there's so many other different options in terms of like, where do you, you know, and 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 like you said, there are so many outliers who are just like making millions of dollars uh, by being influencers. And it's it's really this the carrot that's dangling right in front of every 20 in a lot of 20 year olds, which is like, how can I also be that person? I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just rambling at this point. I think it's just very, very different from when I was in my 20s. <laughs> yeah, I think it makes sense. And at the same time, it leads to this question, like, what do you really want? Like, what do you want? And it's interesting when I ask now, I'm having a very interesting, I think I'm the happiest career wise I ever been till now because I'm working online. I'm in Turkey, but I'm working online from Romania. So I'm working with a, so I graduated psycho, University of Psychology, but I'm working with a real estate company from Romania <laughs> on the social media part. I'm doing social media for them and personal development with the employees. So it's interesting because it's different, like completely two different positions in the same place. And also here I'm an English teacher. Like it's like this, my life. And also youth worker because sometimes I do some personal development classes with youth from here. So it's so diverse and dynamic and interesting, sometimes overwhelming, but I learned this metaphor that really helps me like the seasons of my life. And sometimes it's winter, sometimes it's spring, sometimes it's autumn. And I learned, okay, now it's winter. Slow down a little bit. You might feel bad. You might feel dizzy. You might feel like you want to stay inside and cannot work so much. And then I sent some message. Today I cannot. Today no. And really gives me peace. Like, oh, I have the right to say I cannot. And I'm still a good person. I'm still hardworking. I'm still having my way of discipline. But today I cannot. It's just today. It's just the season. And it's going to come spring. And I'm going to be energetic. And I'm going to want to work. And I, I'm going to reach out to you. Trust me. But it's a matter of patience, I think, and paying attention. But when you pay attention always on what others are doing and comparing yourself, why this person can and I cannot, you cannot pay attention on your own seasons because you're paying attention on other people's seasons. But you don't know. Maybe they are living in a country where they have only two seasons. And maybe you have four, or maybe you have a combination of four seasons, and it's so important to discover your own. I see it this way. That is so fascinating, too. Um, and I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that's been a big change for me since my diagnosis. Is, and, I, you know, I talk about this on the podcast, too. We call them, like, biorhythms, or, but really kind of having the faith that if I'm tired, if today is not that day, that that day will come, right? And and being able to really lean into like, okay, this is a day where I can't get off the couch. And I'm fine with that, because that does not define who I am, even though it feels like it in the moment. Um, and realizing that like, yes, energy is cyclical, productivity is cyclical, all of that. And but it's so fascinating to think about how even that changes depending on where we are in the world in terms of like what are the cycles in you know our area of the world what are the what are the seasons right how are we biologically affected even by where on the on the earth we are located i think that's really interesting yes and again about what you said i'm thinking it's our responsibility for me and for my youngster in my generations and generations that are about to come i think it's our responsibility to choose where we want to live because really we have this opportunity like if you want to live anywhere on the planet you can just say it and you can do it like first come the words 
as the Bible says, and then really you can do it. We live in this time. And I think it's a responsibility that we have not only for ourselves, but our past generation. That's probably my parents, no matter how much they wanted to do what I'm doing now, they cannot. And they really disagree with what I'm doing because they don't understand. It's different. And it sounds like a bit of failure. Like, what are you doing? You dropped university? And actually, I didn't, but it sounds like this because normally it sounds master. And now what? You're volunteer? You're not being paid. So you don't have a job. You're not at university. It's kind of this gray part of life that I love. But it's so, what? Like this? What are you doing? Are you still doing this? And it's beautiful because... Because I had this safety that I offered myself, I found it my responsibility to offer this safety for myself. And even if, for example, my parents, even if they say no, I can feel in their eyes that if I were you, I would do the same. And I know for sure they would do the same. Because really different opportunities. And I say, I'm sorry, I know you say no, but in your heart, I know it's a yes. And I also do it for you, not only for myself. I love that. That's beautiful. I know. I think about all the times I made my mom cry when first I didn't go to university, when all my friends went to university and my mom cried. And then I finally did go to university, but I dropped out of university and my mom cried. And like all of these like moments where I didn't take the path most, you know, the well-worn chosen path. And my parents were terrified and they cried because like, oh, what does this mean? And it all works out in the end. That's what I always say. (laughs) Hopefully. Um, and that's that reminds me, I wanted to ask you, you know, you had said when you wrote, reached out to me that you had listened to the Emily Weinberg uh, episode where we were talking about like, what it's like to not, you know, all of my guests, there's always this sense that uh, everybody's figured it out, right? That we're like, oh, we got our ADHD diagnosis, and now everything is wonderful. And like, I'm always trying to really establish that that's not true. Like, we're all, we're all a hot mess still. But there is some, there are some incredible moments after an ADHD diagnosis. It is a really incredible opportunity to reframe a lot of our, how we look at it in life. And, and even just when you reached out to me, you were like, after my ADHD diagnosis, my journey, it was like, I just felt like life got more beautiful, but also you're still struggling, right? And we're still sort of getting through it and we still have ADHD at the end of the day. So I'm curious, my question, I guess, is, what would you say to somebody who feels like they're still nothing but struggle? I think I would go back to the season metaphor because this works so good for me to have an image with what I'm feeling right now. And what helps me is the season metaphor because when I'm in the winter, it's so dark that I cannot see any light. And it's really dark. And I don't remember it's winter. like. When I'm in the winter, I cannot know I'm in the winter because maybe I'm inside of my home and it's warm. In my home, it's warm, but the outside is dark and cold and I cannot do anything, but I might not know. And sometimes it's just to know that everything is temporary for me helps, like joy is temporary, sadness is temporary. Um, and just a sense of I don't have to control. Like sometimes it's just this and people don't see me but it's just this kind of physical uh movement like it is what it is yeah i always like the word surrender in that moment yes kind of i remember i had this after i graduated university i was still in kind of this what i have to do i have to do i have to control everything has to be controlled and i remember i had i had this problem i cannot swim and I cannot swim because always my body is so cringe and so tense. And when you swim, you have to a bit free yourself up. And I remember we were in the sea. With, I was in another project and we were in, in, in the sea with some friends and one of our mentors from that project. And I said, I cannot swim because, because, and he said, you're so tense, Diana, like really. And he said, like, look, I'm just floating because I let go. And at the beginning, I was like, oh, what? Like, if I let go, then water will go in my ears and my nose. And I'm going to really like all this kind of tension. And I remember the last day of the project comes and I had to go back to my real life. And I was in the water alone this time. And I just said, I'm so scared that I cannot feel fear anymore. I, I have so much pain that I cannot feel pain anymore. 
and I floated. And it was an emotional moment for me because it seems small, but first time I could float because I let go. And sometimes I'm going back mentally in that place where I just floated. And maybe I could have, I could go down, maybe I can stay on the surface, but if I go down, I learn something and I can always raise myself up, like I can stand on my legs, on my feet. If I go, if I float, then I just float. Sometimes it's like this. Mm-hmm. That's so beautiful. God, you have such a gift of metaphor. Uh <laughs> I feel like there's been so many beautiful images that you're right. I feel I feel like those some of those images, some of those stories and allegories are so helpful for us when it comes to like something to hold on to, something to anchor us um, in terms of like reframing and and, and changing some of our ideas. Uh, they can be so powerful. So I really like that one, and I do, I talk about that too sometimes with like. There's moments where we are madly paddling upstream and and treading water and desperately trying to stay afloat, and then the answer is just to let go and like let the current take you along. And and once the the moment you start like trying to jam a square peg into a round hole, like as soon as soon as you stop trying to force something and just relax and and let go, that's when that's when it starts to fall into place. Yeah, and it's such a gift, I think, because for so long I was thinking this sensitivity will lead me nowhere. I have to become stronger. I have to be resilient. And I think now I see it as a gift because exactly this sensitivity makes me to be so connected with what's going on around me. And so fast I feel something is off, I need to stop. This person, not good for me. I need to go a bit of distance. This well, this choice I do doesn't feel right. And because I use so much, I feel, I feel, I feel, I can actually be connected with how I feel. Um, and I think even people that maybe they don't have this, I don't know how to call it, gift of neuro, neurodivergency, they need to connect with this kind of I feel right now. And I find it as a gift, especially now that I'm working on this coaching part, like I'm saying, I think bringing some metaphors help. And also... It helps me like to be so little judgmental in my real life because I'm such a mess that I don't know what a person can do to make me be judgmental because then I really I look at my life and just really what you do is perfect. Trust me, you're perfect. It's like this. <laughs> That's beautifully said. If you have ADHD, it can often feel overwhelming to find the right treatment. And then when you finally do get an appointment with your local clinician, there's no guarantee that they will have the adequate background or understanding of ADHD in adults, especially in women. You might end up leaving that appointment more confused and disheartened than when you entered. That's where Dunn comes in. Dunn is an online ADHD care platform that can get you all the resources you need to help manage your ADHD. With experienced clinicians who know exactly what to look for, you can start getting personalized care as soon as today or tomorrow. Take a free one-minute assessment and book an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as the next day. Get continuous care, one-click refills, insurance coverage, and 24-7 care team support with Dunn for just $79 a month and pharmacy co-pays as low as $0. Visit get.dunnfirst.com slash podcast to learn more. Again, that's get.dunnfirst.com slash podcast. Done. Turn ADHD into your strength. Now, if you could, uh, I love, I love to ask if you could rename ADHD to something else. Would you call it something else? Maybe I don't know. I would call it. I think I swear to God, I'm not a bad person because <laughs> I love that one. I, I, I find it so difficult sometimes, and I just, I don't know how much time we have, but I remember first time I listened and I, I heard about narcissism from Dr. Ramani, and she highlights so many traits that narcissist people have that also I have, like, and I'm just a bit like, because also I forget to answer text. Sometimes I don't, I cannot listen what the other person says to me. I forget about people, and I, there are so many common traits, and I was thinking how interesting it is that, but maybe this, I hope maybe you'll have another conversation with a person that is better prepared than me to talk about this, because I find it really interesting, this dynamic and the risk uh, about 
not risk, but the dynamic be- between a person with ADHD with a person with a narcissist personality trait, because both of them can have some similar traits. And also there's this anxiety trait that the person with ADHD can can have. And also the love bombing that can be even more attractive for an ADHD person than for, let's say, a normal person. Because we're so, wow, 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 so many, woo, yay. And then it comes the, the other part when it goes a bit down. And it's so interesting, I find it. And I, I'm writing a book now. I don't know. Maybe I'll finish in five years because I, I started because it's interesting for me. And I imagine this relationship between a person with ADHD and a person with narcissism. And I kind of went back to my journals because I wanted to see a little bit how my mind is going on so I can highlight the physical portrait or of this person in a more accurate way so I'm going in this direction but about your question yes I would I would rename it as I said I am not a bad person really I'm not like really I I forget I'm sorry and I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry this is something I say all the time because really I feel bad but it's like this yeah my intentions are pure maybe that's what we should call it (laughs) Uh, but, you know, it's funny that you say that about the narcissist, too, right? Because I think that is such a good point. There are some overlaps, but I think it's a lot of it comes down to intention, right? And I think that, like, for the most part, many of us are very curious. We're puzzle solvers. And there's nothing more confounding. There's nothing more puzzling than me. And so we we do spend a lot of time trying to figure ourselves out. And we do, we are the most important person in our life. And so there are times where we do sometimes relationally make mistakes with other people where, you know, going back to some of those like social cues that can be really difficult for us or where we feel like, you know, we didn't do something that was expected of us and therefore we've messed up and all of that. But I think the biggest difference for me, at least between somebody who is neurodivergent and narcissism is the questioning of, am I a narcissist? Like, I don't think narcissists are capable of questioning (laughs) because there's that idea of like, there's not the desire to be better, which is comes from the neurodivergent, like curiosity, right? Like who, who am I in this world? Who am I um, affecting? What is my relationship with people? All of those questions that are sort of self-centered in a way are not something a narcissist questions, right? A narcissist is the, the center of the universe. They're, they're, they would, they don't apologize, right? For me, at least, that's what I've come up with, because I definitely, when I was reading a book on narcissism, there were very many parts where I was like, oh, no, (laughs) (laughs) I really relate to this. But I'm like, but I'm also like, I don't feel like narcissists spend a lot of time reading books about narcissism and whether they are or aren't narcissists. So that's what I've told myself, at least. I'm, like I said, I'm not a professional psychologist, so I, I don't know, but um, that's my theory, at least. Yes, yes. Dr. Rabani said the same thing, that not, there's no people that are 100, 100% perfect or always think about the others. Sometimes we have some moments when we are a bit more self-centered. But the difference is exactly this one, that we question, did I do something wrong? Or, But again... Being living in this society that we're so denied and pushed down, it, it's not right what you feel, you're, you're wrong. It kind of leads us to this confusion, like, what am I feeling? And also this, growing up with this, I feel this, and everyone says, no, you're actually this. It leads to so many other disorders, like, I don't know, I don't know. And um, I, I remember you had a, a guest talking about eating disorder and ADHD or other things that are so connected with just being denied all of your life. So then maybe I think there are two points that I can see. Either you deny yourself always, don't know what you feel. Either you start to self-diagnose yourself all the time. Always I think it's a problem with me. Something hurts me because I don't see that there's a problem in, with the way I think life in general. All small problems, all small things, I start to identify them something hurts me in my body, maybe I'm sick, I'm going to die. Something small, I don't know, doesn't work in my life, it's so bad. And because it's kind of compensate, I cannot see that I see the whole life differently and there's something different with my brain and my mind. So all other things that go to be different, I start to see them as extreme. I don't know if it makes sense. 
No, absolutely. I think that's interesting because I think it it falls under the same category of control. And that's a theme I think that we talk about a lot too, which is like when we feel so out of control, when we feel so different, when we feel like our natural way of being is wrong, um, and we're told those messages throughout our life and we internalize that, many of us are looking for ways in which we can control our environment and 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 feel a little more in control. And so you think about like what falls under that that umbrella of control. So like eating is a one, body dysmorphia is another one, but also like uh per- people pleasing and perfectionism and hypochondria, right? It's another one where it's sort of like this is something little but I need to understand it and I need to I need to feel like I'm in, in control. I need to be in charge. And so all of these are really they're trauma responses, right? Like these are all forms of hypervigilance, which is like, I need to be, I need to figure this out and I need to fix this. That's all hypervigilance, which is like the number one trauma response. Um, and so like, it's fascinating to me that these all kind of have our, have a relationship to this idea of like, you know, I have to get some control over my environment and who I am and the, and the people around me because I feel so chaotic all the time. So. I find that all super fascinating. And so the hypochondria I hadn't really thought about, but I think it absolutely falls under that same that same family of of hypervigilance, right? It's like, oh God, like I have a headache. Do am I having an aneurysm? Like all those immediate ways in which we go from zero to a hundred. I think it is really like I have to understand everything. Yes. And also uh, I'm thinking about again my childhood, how sometimes I say I have a headache or I have this and always you're, you're right. You don't have anything. It's fine. And, and even more, it amplifies. It amplifies because I'm thinking, but no, I think. And then what? Maybe I'm wrong. And it's just like oh, like this. And uh, about the controlling and being pushed down all the time or being pushed up all the time by society and people and friends and family. Um, and like Kristen Butler said this idea of comfort zone that she supports actually because in our society now it's just. You can't, you have to give up your comfort zone. You have always to reach for more. And she says, actually, comfort zone is really good because when you're comfortable, you can grow. And I, I've seen this in myself, like the more I understand myself and I understand what comfort means for me, the more I can grow. And she made a difference between complacency and comfort. And I found it so useful to have these different terms for the something that I felt for so long. I said, oh, yes. I, I need comfort, and of course, I don't like complacency because I have this huge interest and energy for life, and I want to try this and this and this and this, but I need to be comfortable when I'm doing. So, yes, there are some things I can control, like some people that I have around me or how I spend my free time, and there are some other things I cannot control, and then I put my headphones on and I just go ahead with music, for example, when I'm on the street and so many, so many noise, so, ma- so much um so much things that I can focus on. So in this moment, I cannot control, but then I reach for my comfort. And how I decided that I choose my career path right now, this is my definition of comfort, having more careers in the same career, because I cannot do just one thing. And always, also I learned to use the word I'm bored, like to embrace it, because again, all my life being bored is such a bad, I don't know why. Like, you cannot get bored. You have to pay more attention. You have to do more. You have to push more. And giving myself the permission now as an adult, like to say, I'm bored. I cannot do this because I'm bored. And I can do it tomorrow again. I can do it one hour today and one hour tomorrow. And that's fine. It's really beautiful to be able to accept the way you feel and also give yourself validation. Mm hmm. Yeah, language is so important. I love that the difference between comfort and complacency, I think is really important too. where like your comfort zone is wherever you feel best in the moment. And maybe that would be today, it's chaotic, doing a million things at once. And that's your comfort zone. And tomorrow, it's going to be staying in bed all day. <laughs> that, Like you said, I think it's the, the place to grow. It's a good point. Um, well, thank you so much. This has been absolutely lovely. And I really appreciated you reaching out to me and sharing your perspective. And I got a gosh, I feel like there's been so many nuggets of wisdom. I'm, I'm going to have to warn people to have a note paper and a pen for this episode. <laughs> this has been so lovely. Thank you so much. Uh, I know you're on Instagram as Psych and Stories. 
where can people reach you? Where can people find you online? Yes. So uh, on Instagram, I think it's the main page where I, I, I am active because it gives me the possibility to do different formats of posts. I can do videos. I can do text. I can do video with text. I can do so many other different things. So that's why I love social media so much because it gives you the possibility to be so creative and not do just one thing. So uh, on Instagram, I'm Sci-Hand Stories Diana, and I'm working a little bit on my website, but my main activity is on Instagram, yes. Awesome. Okay, well, I'll have a link to that in the show notes. But thank you, Diana. It's just absolutely been lovely speaking with you today and really appreciate your perspective. I'm still just uh, in awe of your wisdom at 22, so I can't imagine uh, what the world holds for you. <laughs> so thank you so much for sharing your sharing your story today. Thank you so much, Kate. It really is an honor. Thank you. There you have it. Thank you for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. If you'd like to find out more about me and my coaching programs, head over to womenandadhd.com. If you're a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD and you'd like to apply to be a guest on this podcast, visit womenandadhd.com slash podcast guest, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. Also, you know we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I totally get it, please just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may be struggling and they don't even know why. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered she's not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD. And she's now on the path to understanding her neurodivergent mind and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then.